Aloha. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kosak. Welcome to The Body Show. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but none of what we discuss replaces a visit to your own primary care provider. Last week, I just didn't get enough. We had Cheryl Crowder on the line, and she is a humanistic psychotherapist with more than 40 years of experience in the field of depth psychology and human consciousness. You know, she's used her background in theater and arts and working with people in the arts to help transform how people who have unfortunately suffered sudden loss or suffered major cancer have had to deal with moving forward in their lives with this new reality. We've had her on the show before talking about Surviving the Storm, a workbook for telling your cancer story. And last week we had her on telling her story of what it feels like to have the sudden shocking loss of a spouse. And we were so in the midst of that conversation that, Cheryl, I really appreciate you coming back again this week because it it requires a part two. We just got to sort of the the point of our discussion where, you know, unfortunately you had lost your husband and you had learned this skill with him with fly fishing. I'm still not quite sure what that is, but to me it's just <laughs> fishing. And then, you know, he his name was pulled out of a hat for winning this particular prize. And that's where we left it. And I just felt like there's so much more to the story, but also to what you have learned in this process of growth. So I want to thank you for coming back again and for doing part two. I so appreciate it. I'm very grateful to be invited. Thank you. So let's catch everyone up. Now, last week we talked a bit about that sudden episode where you kind of had that tingling sense that something wasn't right. And your husband passes away in the other room. And there's this whirlwind of activity of having to tell people and having to deal with all the consequences of, you know, services and and life and bills and all sorts of different things. Mm -hmm. And then you had also learned this skill, the fly fishing skill. And it was something that the two of you did together. You know, he it was something he loved. And he sort of brought you into this sport. And then you got really good at this sport. And there was this, tell me, you, you he won this contest and you were picked and selected to go. And where we left it last week, you were off on this adventure. And you were you were showing your skills to people who really underestimated your abilities. Bring us back to that point. Well, I, I believe we were uh, we ended with me on the Madison River in Montana, which is one of the premier fly fishing uh, rivers of the world. I, I have to say that I, I never think I really became good at fly fishing, but I became good enough, as the saying goes. So uh, I had taken his ashes. Uh, he had always wanted his ashes to be scattered by a trout stream or a great trout river, I had taken his ashes to Montana when I when he had won this trip. I, I felt it was a very synchronistic event that but all sorts of things came together. So here I am uh, on this boat with a guide who, uh, as I, I believe I said, took one look at me and thought, oh, my gosh, what am I going to do with her? And as we're floating down this river on a very hot day where there had been a lot of storms in Montana, uh, crazy storms, and, and you have to realize we're in this little metal boat. So, and there is no shelter. So, if lightning and thunder and 
crazy weather starts to happen, I mean, you're in trouble if you're on a river when this happens. But we set off, and um, I actually have the best fishing day of my life. And as I'm, I'm he begins to see as I'm uh, casting and bringing up these fish that, well, wait a minute, this, this woman actually um, knows what she's doing. So we're, we're going down the river. I, I soon realize that um, this is not the place to um, scatter his ashes. We finished the trip, and it was the next day that I, uh, I take my journey to try to find a place, uh, you know, a ritual space, if you will, to scatter uh, my husband's ashes beside the Madison River in Montana. I take a trip up to Yellowstone Park, of course, the famous, you know, Yellowstone Park. I, it, it was the whole thing was very surreal. We had gone to Yellowstone Park the first time we went to Montana in 1988, my one of my first experiences in Montana and fly fishing. So I went to the same spot that we had been all those years ago. In fact, there's a picture of me by this falls, this incredible falls. It was one of the only, the only aspects of Yellowstone that hadn't changed because nature, even though it changes every moment, it, it's never the same. A river is never the same. Waterfalls are never the same. But nature in that way doesn't have snack bars. It doesn't have, you know, stands with silly little trinkets that people are selling. So I, I went and got, I was at the falls. I asked someone to take my picture. There's a, a great juxtaposition of the first picture of me at this falls, long, dark hair. John is still alive. He's taking the picture. The second picture is taken by this woman who I very shyly asked to take my picture. I'm in the same spot in front of this waterfall. So it's these two women. One is young, one is older, and the younger one has not been through a lot of different experiences. She hadn't had cancer. She hadn't lost her husband. So here's the older woman in front of this falls. And then I take off to uh, find the spot to scatter his ashes. Meanwhile, the storms are raging. Lightning is happening. I'm driving through storms like I've never seen in my life. And it turned out later I found out that I was driving through uh, uh, this whole experience of uh, the sun's corona, which sometimes happens, explodes and actually hits the earth. This creates the northern lights. I didn't know this at the time. I just thought, oh, my gosh, what's going on? I do finally find a spot uh, after I drive through all these different places. I'm looking for the right place. I can't find it. The storms are raging. I'm, I'm frightened. I don't know what the heck is going on. And I actually felt guided at that point um, by him. And uh, at one point, and I, I write this in the book where, He's, and I hear this voice saying, you know, uh, just follow my lead. I'll, I'll tell you where to go. I ignore it. Follow my lead. I'll tell you where to go. I ignore it. Finally, the voice comes and says, oh, this is so typical. You don't listen to me. At this point, I knew that this was, this was his voice in a very timeless, almost sort of crazed space. So I followed this and ended up in a, in a small park, literally a mile from where I was staying, and uh, did this ritual beside the Madison River as uh, an immense storm took hold. So winds are blowing, birds are behind me, they've fallen out of their nests. The Madison River is like the ocean at this point. 
The mountains have gone from, from a purple color to a black color. It's gone from the middle of the day to the middle of the night. And it was clearly a very emotional ritual for me, and yet it felt like this was exactly what I needed to do. It was exhausting, and I, I finished the ritual, left the spot, and um, a couple days later left Montana. So that was, um, that was the story of the actual scattering of the ashes. And then, of course, was my journey back home to Northern California, where part two, not only of the book, but part two of my life, and I think part two of anyone who has suffered loss, particularly a sudden loss, part two is when things can actually be almost more confusing and more devastating because at this point you have to go on with your life and you have to figure out who you are and what your life is like and how to do this. So the second part of the book involves me, you know, doing the clearing out of closets, um, taking up some of the tasks that he used to do, being on my own. It was certainly, I have been on my own. I, I'm not, I, as a woman, I have lived on my own. I'm an independent woman. I'm a professional woman. But there's something very different when, you know, your spouse, your partner, your friend, your lover, I mean, they're, they're gone. And you're left with this space that is, is a bit unimaginable. And grief is a, such a timeless event. Well, water, yeah. Let's, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about how you navigated part two. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. You're listening to The Body Show. On the line, I have Cheryl Crowder, author of Odyssey of Ashes, a memoir of love, loss, and letting go. And when we come back, we're going to talk about what it's like when you have to go back and live your life and things have changed for you, not just symbolic by a photograph, but in every area you can think of. And maybe people aren't yet ready. We'll be right back. Stay with us. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and today we are talking with psychotherapist Cheryl Crowder, and she's telling her own story about what happens when you suddenly lose your best friend, your spouse, your loved one, and what is it like to return back to life and responsibility. And right before the break, Cheryl, you were talking about how, you know, you've lived on your own before, you've you've been an independent woman, and yet... You know, then you were part of a couple, and now mm-hmm. you go back mm-hmm. to Northern California, and you are singular, and you are on your own. And that's a very difficult transition that I think a lot of folks, you know, people may expect that grief ends after a few months, or you hit a mm-hmm. one year, or you hit some right, milestone, right. and they may anticipate right. that, okay, you're better now, let's all move forward in our lives. And yet, in so many ways, that is not... There is no timetable. There is no, there is no yeah. scale to compare yourself to. Mm-hmm. How was that transition back? The transition back actually proved to have different 
difficulties. In fact, I, I was just looking at the book that I wrote. I'm going to read this little passage from it because I feel like this passage describes that perhaps more eloquently because I worked on the writing of it than I could speak it. And so I'm going to read this from the book. Uh, this is after I've returned from Montana, and, and the passage reads, Returning from the wildness of Montana and the Madison River Memorial, I was called back from the underworld to re-enter the upper world of my day-to-day -day life. I was living in two worlds, one an urban scene of responsibilities and schedules, the other an inner wilderness that flowed constantly beneath my feet like a river as I walked through each day and night. Disorienting and unpredictable, it was exhausting work to keep track of myself as I simultaneously struggled with a sense of unreality and negotiated my life as a responsible human being residing in the world of the living. No one really knew the depth of my struggles, living in the land of the dead, even as I paid taxes, laughed at parties, and then drove home alone in the dark. And I think that my experience is actually one that others have. The initial shock of a, of a traumatic death, it takes about, frankly, I think about a year. That was my experience. And I, I don't think I'm, that's exclusive to me. About a year to actually recover from the shock, the trauma, so that you then realize you land back in the ground, oh my gosh, here I am, and at that point, start to pick up the pieces. There's a lot of business that you have to deal with, with death, all the accounts, all the things you have to change. You know, as women, when that happens to us, often because it's a male-oriented world, uh, accounts and everything are in, in the man's name and trying to change them is nearly impossible, which was both infuriating and just horrifying. So as I then went back into my life, I was picking up the pieces and, you know, I would have to negotiate things that, that John would do at one point. I found some mice in my garage. I never was the one who would have taken care of this, but I had to figure out how to do it. There's a particular part in the book and a particular part of this experience, the very rainy, stormy day, and I'm looking at my kitchen window, having a, a very, very difficult day, and I look up, and there was a hummingbird feeder that, again, John always used to take care of, and I noticed that there was a hummingbird poised right in the window, flapping its tiny little wings in the rain, just focused on me, actually, if I anthropomorphize like crazy, glaring at me because yeah, the once feeder you was feed empty. Your feeder was yeah, empty. I, like, yeah, you know, what, hey, lady. What's going you know, on? Get, you know, get it together here. So I thought, all right, I have to do this. It's storming. I go out. I grab the ladder. It's, it's storming. The ladder is hanging against my legs. It's wet. I go up. I'm sobbing. I'm, I get the feeder down. I take it back in, I clean it off, because of course it's miserably dirty, and put the hummingbird food back in it. I take it back out, get back up on the ladder, hang it up, and close the door, come back in, and then I'm looking out the window, and back comes this hummingbird, again looking at me, this time not glaring, I think perhaps again it's a little grateful, and at this point I realize that, you know, now this is my responsibility. 
I'm the one that now needs to take care of these little birds. And it was for me a breakthrough moment of realizing that I need to, I need to get this together. I need to move on. Even though, as I just read in that passage, I clearly, I was working, I, I took care of things. That, that was not an issue for me. But there was a deeper level that was spoken to in an inner voice from that experience that began a particular shift for me. And so all the other scenes after that are describing different situations where I'm moving forward, moving beyond. Grief does not have a time limit. It shows up in many different, different outfits. It shows up unexpectedly. Sometimes you expect to feel grief and it doesn't happen. So grief needs space, it needs time, and it will feel disorienting. And it will, it will feel like it, it, sometimes it will be never-ending. And in some senses, it is never-ending because if you lose someone that's very dear to you. And the more engaged you are, the more engaged any of us are in our relationships, the deeper the losses that we experience. I mean, that's the price of life. That's the price of love. That's the price of life. And as an existential psychotherapist, that is just one of the existences of life, right? You know? Well, and I think part of the issue that, uh, that I suspect a lot of folks have is it is part of life, right? We are all going to mm-hmm. have grief at mm-hmm. some point. Yeah, yeah. And it's going to be this common theme that transcends mm-hmm. even language. You know, it's this mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. depth of feeling and emotion that you mm-hmm. experience. Mm-hmm. But because it's such a difficult process, I suspect that those who either haven't gone through it or even those who have for which it was maybe in the remote past Mm-hmm. they kind of want to hurry you up. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. okay, let's get back to being happy again. And maybe mm-hmm. the idea or the concept that it sounds like you've found without your book is that it's not about going around. It's diving right in and going right through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and what I deeply believe is that it is the diving in, it is, the traveling through that dark territory of grief and loss, which can sometimes feel like you're absolutely losing your mind, that's the way to heal. I don't believe that we ever fully heal from the significant losses of our life, but I do believe that we can carry them within ourselves, within our hearts, in ways that lead us to transformation. For me, leaning into that depth of experience, allowing yourself, and I really want to emphasize that, allowing yourself the space to be present with the depth of your grief will then take you through into a place that you may not even have ever dreamt was possible for you. I never dreamt I would write a book like this. It's a book that I wish I didn't 
need to write, that I was compelled to write. So allowing that process to transform who you are can be a, a really remarkable process. It's, it's not easy, and I think the truth is it's not something we would choose. I, as you said, I work with people who, people, their families, their partners, who have been given a diagnosis of cancer. Sometimes I work with survivorship, sometimes all the way to the end of life. None of these are choices that we would want to make. So we have to deal with the truth of how do you play a hand that you're dealt that you really didn't want? It's not a great hand, but it's the cards laid before you. This, I think, is one of the ways that we can actually be with and then move through this level of devastation. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. You're listening to The Body Show. When we come back, we're going to talk about some of the lessons that Cheryl Crowder shares with people that she works with, that having been through this personal devastating challenge in her life that still affects her to this day, I'm certain. How does she utilize that experience to help others? That's truly one of the missions that we have is as a psychotherapist, I know that you, this is something that you've taken on. So when we come back, we are going to discuss more about the stages or the tips that all of us can follow as any of us deal with the potential or even just, you know, without even knowing about it, the sudden loss of someone that we love. We'll be right back. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and you are listening to a discussion I'm having with Cheryl Crowder. She is a psychotherapist with over 40 years of experience in the field of depth psychology and human consciousness, and we're talking about her own personal journey. Now, I often find, Cheryl, that the biggest challenges in our lives are the areas where we can help other people the most. You know, if, mm -hmm. if people ever mm -hmm. wondered, why did something happen to me? It may be because... The next part of their journey is to share that, as you have, writing the book mm -hmm. you never expected, you never wanted to, dealing with right. the cards that you were dealt, not the ones you, not the game you wanted to play, and mm -hmm. yet you've turned this around to find ways to help other people. You know, I often think back to Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's Stages mm -hmm. of Death and Dying, and, you know, you're mm -hmm. looking at denial and anger and bargaining and acceptance and depression in various ways. They don't follow the same path for everyone. But right, right. That's mm -hmm. sort of a, a formulaic way to say this is what happens. But that may not be the way everyone experiences it. As you have gone through it and come out the other side, and you might still be in the midst of it, what tips would you give? You know, I picture that photo that you said, that young girl who was standing at Yellowstone and mm -hmm. had no idea that she would face cancer, she would face right. the loss of her partner in life. If someone is, is like that young woman who hasn't yet 
experienced what you have, what tips can you share? Mm-hmm. Well, yesterday was the uh, virtual book launch of uh, Odyssey of Ashes, a memoir of love, loss, and letting go. And several people in the question and answer phase asked some remarkable and beautiful questions. One question was, how do you prepare for loss? Another question was, how do you speak of the unspeakable? I mean, just brilliant, intuitive, lovely questions. So it I think that the way we prepare for loss is to know that it's going to happen eventually. By the way, that doesn't mean that we focus on it and become afraid of it and, oh, my God, there's going to be loss, there's going to be loss, and so therefore I can't engage, I can't care, I can't love, I can't commit. That is not the way to really embrace the truth, the existential truth that In our lives, we're going to experience loss. For me, what I've learned both from my cancer diagnosis, surviving cancer, of which I'm extremely grateful, and also the death of my husband, is that the way to, I don't know, accept is, I'm I'm struggling to, I'm sort of choking on the word accept, but, um, and perhaps you're right, it's like, you know, have I accepted this loss? I mean, I even think, you know, I, I don't ever think this, I don't think cancer is a gift. I don't think the death of my husband was a gift. I don't feel particularly grateful to either one of those events, and yet they have both taught me how to be present in my life, how to be grateful for every moment that I have, how to appreciate the people in my life that do support me, how to appreciate myself for the ways that I can find my own ground. Those are the ways that I believe we can heal and transform massive losses that can could lead us to collapse. And by the way, I encourage people not to be, in quotes, too strong, You don't have to always be positive. You don't have to be afraid if you feel afraid. You don't have to be afraid if after months, years, weeks, decades even, that you still feel the grief of this loss. It's natural. Don't judge yourself. Let let whatever stories arise, let whatever feelings arise, be with them, be present with them, embrace them, and then as best you can, kind of imagine them as put them in clouds, let them go, breathe them away. Know that in your heart, you you carry your experience with you. And your experiences are who you are. They don't leave us. We can't change them. That doesn't mean we are prisoners of our experiences. It doesn't mean that we're trapped there forever. But it means that we acknowledge our experiences, we appreciate them, and Certainly when when we've lost people who are very dear to us, we treasure that we had them. We appreciate, I very much appreciate that I had someone in my life who I loved, who loved me. Was it a, you know, no, no relationship is perfect. Was it perfect? Of course not. Yet that was an experience that will always be a part of me for forever as long as I'm here. And so to value that and to treasure that 
and you know don't push it away don't don't push and shove and think that you have to in quotes move on and and not feel these things these are too precious so i encourage people to you know as as that one book i think you mentioned we were talking you know cheryl Amber, like lean in i mean the phrase i use you know lean into your experience have it treasure it well on that note i do want to say that i really appreciate you sharing your expertise and your personal experience with us today on The Body Show. If you'd like to hear this show again, you can click on hawaiipublicradio.org, follow the links to The Body Show. You can also find us on the HPR app. The name of the book we were discussing today is Odyssey of Ashes, a memoir of love, loss, and letting go by Cheryl Crowder, available wherever books are sold. Our engineer is David Chong. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. We will see you next week when we talk more about health topics right here on The Body Show. We'll see you then.